Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, joined by Jay Billis, who combs his hair with a Q-tip, and LaFonso Ellis, who sold his dreads as hair extensions, but he looks absolutely marvelous as it is, and he is in the ring of honor. And he is a diva. We know Billis is a diva, but Johnny Law almost threw him into the jail, but he made it to Virginia. So, boys, so, boys, as we uh, start the day off, uh, anything going on? Wait a sec. There's some stuff that's gone on in the past. Uh, Taylor, do we have a little music? Not only are they bald and beautiful. Bald! You're bald! They all have very large brains. Quick as smart. It's time for Knowledge Gained. Let's take a, a look back. Uh, what knowledge did you guys gain from this past week? And uh, I'll start with you, LaFonzarelli. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking about for a while, Auburn, obviously at that time, the second best team in the country. Uh, and my thing with them with winning the national title is could they get consistent guard play? And at the end of games, would they get the basketball in the hands of Jabari Smith? <laughs> he ends up having 28 points in that game, 20 of them in the second half. Wendell Green ends up uh, taking a shot, and I still am befuddled by the fact that Jabari Smith didn't. You call that a shot, Vons? I mean, you you need some surgery right here. You need to, you call that the the dude threw it like into like out. I don't even know where he threw it. They never even got a shot off. Exactly, exactly. But but Seth, it's a recurring theme now. The best player on your team, in that case, Jabari Smith, should have the basketball in his hand. And he's unique because he's 6'10 with a high release point on his jumper. The best asset of his game is his jump shot. I'm still befuddled by the fact that he didn't have the basketball in his hands. I hate when you're befuddled. Yes. Billis, on the other hand, is never befuddled. Uh, did anything <laughs> befuddle you this past weekend, Mr. Billis? Well, first of all, LaFonso's perspective is from the best player view because he was the best player. Of course, he was the best <laughs> player to have the ball. I was the fourth best player, and that might be generous to me, but I thought the fourth best player should have gotten the ball because it was to be sort of a misdirection where the best player was the decoy (laughs) to get the team the better shot. Uh, Maybe it's because of of where we were together and the fact it was right in front of us, but and it's more confirming for me than something I learned, but Arizona's legit. Uh, I was blown away, uh, not just by their offense, because they're really good in transition, that high-low stuff they run. They're always one pass away from a ball screen. They're difficult to guard, but their defense really impressed me, uh, and especially Christian Coloco. Uh, I knew that he could block shots. I don't think I understood the depth of his ability to guard out in the perimeter. Those two, those two plays he made, uh, first on Jacob Young and then on Will Richardson uh, in the last three or four possessions of the game were next level uh, as a defender. And, and heck, you know, Tommy Lloyd can play his really big lineup with him guarding mm-hmm. wings and he can do it and do it really well. It wasn't like he guarded, a, you know, had made a switch for two dribbles. He guarded him the whole possession. And uh, I was really impressed with Arizona. They're, they're, they're easily on the top tier of the game. You know what I think Christian Coloco does really well, especially for we bigs, coaches are harping on us to stay low. He really sits down a bit and spreads his legs just wide, and so it makes it difficult to really get an angle by him. I agree with you. I I, I was blown away at how well he'll handle anyone from a quick, slippery uh, Will Richardson to, to even a wing, and, and, and that's going to be beneficial for them as they try to run and, uh, into April and try to cut down the nets in April. 
I, I was just drinking. You know, one thing that I was most impressed with before I get into a team, I was most impressed with Billis's composure with that really warm and fuzzy reception he got in Tucson. <laughs> I mean, the amount of discipline Mr. Billis possessed was like he was talking to a jury that was actually absolutely paying no attention to him. And that's what he did to our friends in Tucson. That was very impressive, Jay. You know, Fonz, Fonz, I don't know if you noticed this, but I heard a few boos going Seth Greenberg's way, too. But, <laughs> but maybe maybe from his coaching career, he, he's used to it. Uh, people say, <laughs> he thought they were saying, boo. We love boo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was when I was in Tucson, I was in winter, witness protection. <laughs> I just figured I could outrun Bellis and he was a bigger target, so I was in good shape. <laughs> uh, my my biggest takeaway was you know, Michigan State's in trouble. Uh, I just, you know, they can't score. Um, they don't have any consistency right now. You know they're going to play hard. You know they're going to defend mostly consistently. Uh, I think Christie looks like he's a little worn down. Gabe Brown is not – he's got to be a guy that can give him 12 to 14 points a game. Yes. You know, Malik Hall's got to be a guy that's got to give him 10 to 12 points a game who's a matchup problem. they got to get more out of – Added Joey Hauser. Uh, it's great that Walker made some plays that got him back in that Illinois game, which was, you know, look, it was a high-level game. And Illinois is really good. But I look at Michigan State, and I'm saying, I look at the rest of their schedule, you know, it's going to be hard to find wins down the stretch. It really is. And uh, despite everything, I thought that uh, Tom Izzo's four-minute soliloquy yesterday on uh, the handshake line and the ills of, of the world, I, I actually, I thought it was really good. Uh, uh, and he compartmentalized, you know, obviously his frustration with his team to, you know, having a really pretty strong stance on that. Uh, so let's, let's throw two things out real quickly. Uh, handshake lines and just to put to rest uh, the situation at Wisconsin, uh, at Wisconsin with, you know, basically, Juwan Howard getting a five-game suspension has no access to his team. Phil Martelli's taking over there. Uh, Greg Gard getting a ten thousand dollars fine, as opposed to obviously Juwan got also got a forty thousand dollars fine. Uh, and then Wisconsin coming out with a very strong statement, taking no culpability. Uh, just, I don't want to beat this to death because it's you know it's a couple of days old. But where do you guys stand on all that? Well, I was uh, obviously, like all of us, very disappointed in the incident itself. It didn't have to happen and it shouldn't have happened. Uh, we've all talked about this ad nauseum, but there are differing levels of culpability in this. But I don't feel like anyone was blameless. So with all respect to Wisconsin, I, I don't I don't agree. I think they could have handled things much better. And and uh, um, while Jawan Howard was most culpable, um, people at Wisconsin, Greg Gard and, and others were not without culpability. What I would say is that the, the part of the handshake line, this, this incident doesn't reflect on the handshake line and, and should not be used to, in my view, to discuss whether the handshake line is the right thing or not. I, I, you guys know, I've never been a fan of the handshake line, but not because a fight could break out. I think, you know, you don't do things uh, or, or stop doing things because you think someone, uh, you know, one person out of a thousand may behave badly. I, I'm not a fan of the handshake line because I don't think it has a whole lot of meaning. You know, these are adults. And I liked it better back in the day when you sought out your counterpart and you had a meaningful exchange and handshake that way rather than 
you know, sort of the little league, good game, good game, good game, good game, good game. Uh, to me, that doesn't have a lot of meaning, but I, I'm not saying do away with it. I just, I preferred it the other way. Um, but whenever something happens, you know, we got to stop doing this or we got to stop doing that. Um, I happen to agree with Tom Izzo. Like, I, you know, I, I think, you know, if you can't behave yourself, then don't go on the handshake line in the first place. That's fine. Um, it's kind of like when, 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 uh, if people had an issue with the anthem for whatever reason, then don't go out. Uh, I don't, you know, it, that may be a bad example, but you know, if Juwan Howard didn't want to shake hands, don't shake hands. Um, I don't think it was appropriate for Greg guard to stop him, but for each other to get, to get in each other's faces and have it escalate from there. Uh, so I think everybody, if you can look at yourself and say, I think I handled myself perfectly appropriately and I'm proud of the way I acted, then fine. But I don't think any reasonable person could look at that and not have remorse that the incident happened in the first place and, and, and say that they could have handled it better. That, that, and, and that goes to the postgame press conferences, too. I don't think either one of them handled that appropriately. Uh, but they're, they work for their if their employers are fine with it. That's their business. To the fully recovered prima donna who used to cry and sulk when we lost games in high school or college because I hated losing. I, I Reflecting back, I actually like the symbolism of the handshake line because I think, as we've talked about before, in the collegiate setting, uh, we're, we're teaching and shaping uh, young people and to have it be a symbolic gesture of having uh, – uh, humility in your wins and uh, showing class uh, in, in your losses. Uh, I, I like the symbolism of it, and so I wouldn't like it to go away. And 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 one point on the incident, Jack, I absolutely agree with you. And I've said this to Seth uh, off air. I had the privilege of being at Notre Dame and playing against the Michigan Fab Five. The first game they started all together was when they played us in South Bend. And eight out of my 11 years in the NBA, I played against Juwan Howard. Uh, he and Chris Weber and I would absolutely go at it. And that dude, uh, for the eight years that I knew him in the league, was always uh, very classy, uh, very uh, humble, um, and just kind of a stand-up, sharp guy. And, and that's the way I know him. Obviously, I don't know him as intimately as I know you guys. But to see what happened with Turgeon last year and to see what happened over the weekend, uh, for me, is completely out of character for Jawan. And so I also said that I felt he should have been suspended for the remainder of the uh, regular season. And I was happy to see that come down the pipe. And, Jay, I, I actually thought, and obviously Greg Gard much less than, than Juwan Howard. I actually thought Greg Gard should get a one-game suspension. So I was surprised at the uh, $10,000 fine. But um, I, I, it, I just felt that that was a bad look for college basketball. And I thought a dark day for us. Okay, here's how I looked at it. I looked at it like a flagrant one and flagrant two. I thought that Greg Gard committed a flagrant run one. It was unnecessary. I thought that. Juwan Howard committed a flagrant two, unnecessary and excessive, uh, his response. And uh, I think this is just my gut, you know, off the top of the head. I think that's how it should have been handled. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of how it was handled. Now, moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, one of our brethren is actually uh, going to be the interim head coach, uh, Phil Martelli. And, and Juwan has no interaction with the team. Uh, five games left, four at home, uh, all against teams that obviously would be quality wins that would enhance your resume on a team that's literally just hanging on. How do you think they move forward knowing what's at stake? 
without the guy, you know, their leader, but yet a very, very capable replacement and a very good staff, their whole staff. They, they've got a very, very good, experienced, mature uh, group of basketball people. Uh, what's your guys' take on that? I, I think it's going to be about the players. And as a, an older person now, uh, I would hope that at that age, uh, I would have the wherewithal to get to get my teammates together and say, listen, th- this isn't about playing for Coach Martelli and the staff, nor playing for Coach Howard. This is about us. This is our team and our opportunity, and we need to do what it takes. We need to listen. We need to be coachable. We need to we need to handle this the right way and make sure we finish the season the right way. This was not of our doing. And but we have to deal with it. And so let's deal with it in a positive manner. And because, uh, uh, as you guys both know better than I do, this could go sideways in a hurry or it could be really positive. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things about the suspension, like Fonz, like, you know, I, I all of it is within the realm of reason. So I have no quarrel with five games. I wouldn't have had a problem with three or one for Greg Gard or none or no fine, whatever letter of reprimand. It's all within the realm of reason to me. So, so that that's not an issue. My issue is when when these coaches do something like this and they're subject to discipline, it winds up negatively affecting the players. The one, mm-hmm. ones who get screwed are the players. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you always try to keep that in the back of your mind. But since they're the ones that are on the line on this, they're they're the ones that are going to have to step forward and and honestly be the most mature in the way they handle it. And I, and I compare the two the two schools, uh, Louisville with coach Pegues and, um, and, and Michigan the, with Phil Martelli, I, I, I would be, I, I think, I think his handprint, even though it's Juwan Howard's program, uh, I, I think his, his, his handprints are, are on that program. And I think they're because of his experience today, I feel that he'll be able to push the right buttons because he's, he's been successful and he's been at this thing for a long time. And I, and I think he will have the wisdom and the know-how, how to inspire these guys. And to your point, to keep it about themselves. And, and, and let's face it, for, for, for Michigan, th- their success has been riding upon whether they can knock down shots or not. So, uh, if, if they can continue to knock down shots, that'll give driving lanes to be able to get to the rack. Hunter Dickinson will continue to be one of the best bigs in all of America doing his thing on the inside. And so I, I think Michigan is better poised than a place like a Louisville because of Phil Martelli's experience to be successful here in the last four or five games, or at least to have a chance. Sadly, they have a, that, that's a heck of a schedule <laughs> to be dealing to have to deal with, whether you have your lead coach or your, your lead assistant coach. And I, like, I, I totally agree with Jay in, in this. Like if they say, well, you know, we're going to win for coach Howard, all that rah, rah stuff that lasts about the first 10 minutes of the game. And then you got to get, you got to sit in a stance and guard. You got to, you know, be strong with the ball. You got to execute. you got to compete uh, because that's what it's all about. All that, that, that energy and false energy uh, can only carry you so far after a while, you've got to go and you've got to play. Got to allow yourself to be coached and 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 in game adjustments and things of that nature. But you know, I think the other stuff wears off, and then you got to get into the grind of the game. Especially, you know, you might lose to Rutgers. You might have to get in the grind of getting to the next game and unplug and plug it back in and saying, you know what? All right, that's one game. We got four other opportunities. We got to figure out a way to win three of these, or whatever it is, or play better, play better, more effectively, more uh, efficiently. So. I think I think it's going to be an interesting to watch because their schedule coming up is really hard. And and Jay, you made an amazing point in terms of 
the people that have been punished are the, are the players. And, and, and I call it mirrored uh, behavior because of what happened. The, some of those players acted inappropriately following a little bit of the lead of their, their head coach. And uh, because of that, they're going to miss this next game. And, and, you know, so now, you know, you're talking about a Michigan team that will not be at, at full, uh, you know, have all the, all the tools and all the resources that they normally would have for a game. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, look, you know, moving forward. Seth, so, the one thing they should have done, they should have <laughs> called you because as great as Phil Martelli would be, they should have called you. Cause I would have loved to have seen you walk into practice and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to down the ball screen. We're going to get a stand. We're going to get on the midline. But remember, it's my way or the highway. And if you stand, you will be champion. I would have brought De- I would have brought Digger in to speak to Jeff Allen personally. <laughs> hey, Seth, before we leave it, I just want to say one last thing about the Juwan Howard thing. His his apology note was great last night. Like like that's reflective of the Juwan Howard I know. You know, yeah. and 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 I'm hoping that that's that's real uh, versus a a response from all oh, shoot. Uh, now they're putting the pressure on me to have to make a, a positive response. But but that's in keeping with the guy who represented himself with with great class and dignity all the years I had the privilege of playing against him in the league. And it's a great lesson for every coach before you go into to a uh, media session, post game press conference. You should have someone to bounce something off of. You, you like, like to me, uh, before those, either one of those guys went into that press conference, they needed to have someone say, all right, where are we going with this? All right, what, 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 we have a terrible situation on our hands. What's the best case scenario on how we can handle this? And let's stay true to exactly, forget about what's being asked. Let's stay to the script and let's handle this thing in a, a manner that we can mitigate the damages and also you know, take full responsibility and understand that we need to be better. And I think, you know, every, you know, people talk about SIDs. I don't know if it's an SID. I don't know if it's the director of, uh, not director of basketball operation, but your, your basketball administrator. But someone needed to talk to those guys. And I've seen it at Michigan State. I mean, before Tom goes on into his media sessions, I mean, they have a, a group that they bang stuff around with and 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 come up with a, you know, a plan to make sure that, you know, you represent the school and yourself in a proper way. And I think that was important, but I did. I absolutely loved, absolutely loved Juwan's uh, statement yesterday. And now he's got to, he's got to live his words. And I think that's the most important thing because, and set an example for his team. Uh, I loved it too. I, I loved the statement too, but it was too late. Yeah, and, exactly. and, you know, my thing was, I don't know if, if Juwan or, or Greg talked to their athletic directors before they went in the press conference, but they should have. And the athletic director should have had them on the horn because they saw it. I mean, we, we all saw it live. How could they, how could they not? And I'm sure their phones were blowing up as soon as it happened if they didn't see it. And I can't imagine not getting on the horn with your coach saying, here's what you're going to do. If you're not thinking this way, here's what you're going to do. So if that didn't happen, and I don't know to whom each coach spoke, but if it didn't happen, that was probably a, a failing. All right, let's move it forward. Taylor, do you have something about moving it forward to make us look very hip and cool and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and interesting? No such thing exists. Rub those bald heads like crystal balls and take a look into the future. 
now they see i mean like like it like if people don't understand this is a very well produced show they just they just really don't understand the amount of work that goes in there's so much in these craniums that it's it, our heads are just popping through our skulls but uh what's the one thing you're looking forward to this week there fonzarelli uh, Oregon. I thought they had, you know, that was a team that had been surging, had a great opportunity in Arizona. I mean, took a Arizona team who has a chance to win a national championship uh, down to the wire on the road. Here they have another opportunity here against uh, another top tier team that we all think has an opportunity to win it in UCLA. You know, Will Richardson, I thought was terrific. I thought uh, early on because Gary was knocking down threes, they kind of settled for threes and stopped attacking. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, whether it was on their dribble handoffs, whether on their ball screens, they started to get downhill and uh, able to knock down either some pull-up jump shots, get to the rim, or make the extra pass. They're going to have to do that against UCLA often and do it early um, in order to try to get a win against the Bruins because it's resume building time right now, and they have some great opportunity. They let one slip away at Arizona. They have a great opportunity here against UCLA, who has been injured all year long. And I think uh, having guys missing games, they their their chemistry is not as strong as it would be otherwise. So it's an opportunity on the table for the Ducks. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. You talk about their chemistry, but, you know, guys are stepping up. Like Darren Clark, he's yeah. stepping up. I mean, Agreed. all of a sudden, Jaime Hawkins has been a little bit more aggressive. Uh, they've had Singleton made some shots. Uh, they're actually developing. I think they're, they're building their depth. If they can get fully healthy, they need Tiger Campbell, let's face it. Agreed. Agreed. But if they get healthy, they're going to be dangerous. You see. No How question. about you, Jay? Well, I'm looking forward to a few things. One is the response that Auburn has uh, after their loss to Florida. Uh, I want to see how how the Tigers bounce back, and I think they will. I mean, Bruce Pearl went in the the press, not the press conference, the, the locker room said, "We're going to find out what we're made of. What are we made of?" And I think they're made of something something special. Uh, I have I'm going to be courtside for Duke and Virginia on Wednesday night. And I, I just think it'll be interesting to see Duke playing a team that beat them in Cameron on Reese Beekman's last second shot, uh, how they handle that, how they respond to it. And, uh, and just sort of the idea that we're getting down to the end of the season. They've got one more home game left. They've got Virginia and then two, what I would consider pretty winnable games on the road against Syracuse and Pittsburgh. If the, the Coach K last game in Cameron thing has, has any emotional effect on him, positive or negative, I think it's going to be interesting as, as I'll get out to watch. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to watching the, the ending of the season for the West Coast Conference. I don't think anybody's going to touch Gonzaga, but, but St. Mary's, BYU, and San Francisco, as they go down the stretch, they're playing really important games for their tournament lives. And, and with the West Coast Conference having a chance to get four teams in, one of the dynamics of that league that's really interesting is because of some COVID things, you know, Gonzaga's taken a, a, a few no contest games. So they're not going to play as many games as their counterparts. And they've, uh, San Francisco's had to squeeze three games into a week. And, you know, we can argue whether that's fair or unfair, but that's what the, the Dons have to deal with. And they've, you know, Todd Golden's got a team that, that's NCAA tournament good. And, uh, but that's, that's a lot to navigate in the final week before they head to the West Coast Conference tournament. Yeah, I think West Coast Conference is interesting. Especially like Bouye and, uh, and, and Shabazz, those two dudes can score. They run really good offense. They spread you out. They're a very good passing team. That league is good. I'm, I'm not as sold on as much on BYU right now. Uh, but I, I, St. Mary's, I mean, they flipped the switch and got back to playing uh, the way they were kind of early in the season. 
I'm going to go with some bubble games. I mean, like Miami, Virginia Tech, both of those guys. I'm not sure Miami's as much of a lock as we think they are. Virginia Tech obviously needs another quality win. Uh, I think that's a big opportunity because it's an, a chance for a quad one win. Uh, I think that, you know, Virginia Tech, offensively, they're really good. They just couldn't make a shot. And, that, and they couldn't make a shot. It had a lot to do with I, I was really impressed with North Carolina's defense. I really was. I thought North Carolina did a really good job of not overhelping, doing a really good job of contesting shots, uh, showed some grit, which is something that, you know, obviously we all want to see. And I thought Carolina, you know, last night, I think showed some grit and that's real positive. I think the Virginia tech Miami game is going to be interesting. Uh, Virginia tech can't turn it over. They can't get sped up. uh, And they've got to, you know, be able to guard the ball and the bounce, especially those mismatches that, I think Jimmy does a really good job of creating it. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to just two other games. And I'll throw them out to you. I think Michigan State, Purdue. I mean, Michigan State's going to need, uh, not that they won't be in a tournament, but they need a, a, a game to kind of get their mojo back. They got a chance with Iowa. If I'm not saying that game's at Iowa, uh, you know, can they score enough? And then to play Purdue, which will be an absolute fist fight. Uh, I think that'll be interesting. And then Wisconsin Rutgers, I think the big 10 like Rutgers is, is one of those four games in a row. They probably need another to feel, you know, or two to feel comfortable in terms of, of wins to balance off those, you know, the Lafayette loss and, and the bad losses that they've, they've had. I think it was UMass as well. So I just think, you know, we have so many good games down the stretch and there's so much uncertainty across all conferences. Mm-hmm. And then I'll throw you the last one, Baylor, Kansas. Baylor survived mm-hmm. yesterday. Great comeback in the second half. Jay, you'll be calling it. And, then, you know, we all worry about Baylor. I mean, like, you know, without Jonathan Chamochachua, their ball screen defense. So without, you know, who's going to be, is LJ Cryer going to be there? I'm going to call you the uh, the Baylor whisperer, Fonz. I know <laughs> you, you, you talk to Scott all the time. But are, you, are you buying Baylor now? I mean, how good? Second weekend? Where do you think they're at with this team that's been beat up a little bit like UCLA, but obviously losing a guy like JTT for the season's different. Fonz. Oh, you talking to me? I thought you were yeah, talking to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second, Fonz, you are the bail of whisperer. No. Look who doesn't want the ball. Look who doesn't want the ball in crunch time. Oh, my bad. Go to, go to the fourth option because the best player doesn't want the ball in crunch time. And Bill is saying, hey, one thing about the fourth option, after he sets the screen, he's definitely going to present himself. <laughs> and get ignored. <laughs> and John and Dawkins will look at him and go, hey, I don't think so. <laughs> That's really good. No, it's, uh, I, I'm, concerned, I'm, concerned, I'm concerned about Baylor. And, and I, you know, I've said, Seth, is James Akinjo is the one guy has been early on and, and even now is the one guy who can create his own shot off the bounce. That, that That's valuable for them. And, and if we look at where he, the level he was playing at before he had his injury, he's playing at elite level since he's been back. Uh, some games good, not so much. So, so the question is how healthy is he going to be? And then they're playing a shortened lineup, but I, I have to give uh, Scott drew a lot of credit though, because I was interested to see with uh, fewer bodies available, and, uh, and, and guys just playing big time minutes, uh, what would he change first? And I saw last night on the defensive end, he went back to that one, three, one, and that gave uh, Oklahoma state who I know has, uh, at times struggled scoring the basketball. But when they were, when Baylor was in their man to man, Oklahoma state was able to get almost anything that they wanted off the bounce. 
And then they went to that one, three, one kind of threw them off a little bit and they were able to win a grind out game with, without a fully healthy, a lot of it is going to have to depend on how healthy LJ Cryer is. If LJ Cryer is not healthy. So you have a banged up Akinjo, you have a banged up LJ Cryer. I'm not sure this Baylor team can get to a second weekend just because they don't have the depth. I'm worried, Seth, about the Baylor game this weekend against Kansas because uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this yet, but on Friday, uh, I've been asked to throw out the first pitch at the Baylor baseball game. What? So, yeah, so we're negotiating it now because I've I've demanded that Seth Greenberg be in the batter's box because I think I'm going to plunk him and put him on first <laughs> <laughs> because I'm I'm not worried about I'm not worried about him stealing second. Hell, lot of fun to, to to brush him back. You pretend I'm brushing him back, and then hit him right in the in the small of the back. It, it will be uh, incidental uh, contact. I'm sure at the speed exactly. you'll throw it. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll, I'll be like this. Is that as hard as you can throw it? <laughs> yeah, we got it. We're, we're going to have to get a bet. Do I bounce it or hit the backstop? This will only be the, this will be the second first pitch I've thrown out. I did it. For the what time is that game? What time is that game? Because if it interferes with chocolate cake, I'm not coming to watch it. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. When we go to the Chip and Joanna Gaines restaurant, uh, that there there would be including the game day show. If they put that uh, chocolate cake out, uh, <laughs> none of us would appear on so set. Good. We, we would all go eat that thing. Uh, hey Jay, but I'm I'm Jay. a little worried I may hit the backstop. Jay, do me a favor. Don't mess it up. Too late. Yeah, <laughs> that die has been cast. I, I'll 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 go take a little batting practice. I might get it out of the I might get it out of the infield. <laughs> I'll be the I'll be All right. Before we move on, there's something we want to share with you on today's episode as we honor and celebrate Black History always. Here, ESPN's William C. Roden on the great John Thompson. When I think of John Thompson, I think of a guy that stood tall in the toughest of times. I, th- I think of a great leader, a great coach, and a person that built bridges for others to cross in the future. You know, John Thompson was not only a legend and icon in the coaching profession, uh, he was a, a social justice warrior. And I can't even fathom uh, the depth and layers of character that were required for him to navigate all that he had to navigate. And yet he put his players first and, and built a, a program that has yet to be matched. And one thing I'll always remember, uh, I didn't know coach Thompson when he was coaching uh, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. We never played Georgetown. I got to know him well afterwards and really know him when he was a, a member of the media. And I used to, used to joke with him that I can't believe you're a card-carrying member of the media now. But but he was such a a wonderful person. Uh, in addition to being such a a, a great coach, and and he is uh, he is sorely missed uh, in not only in in coaching but in our society. Yeah, and as a black male who grew up without a father, John Thompson I thought was a symbol of not only fatherhood to his players, but symbolic of excellence in our, in our sport. And so I'm very grateful for the contributions that he's made to our game and to our race. On April 2nd, 1984, John Thompson's Georgetown Hoyas, led by Patrick Ewing, beat Houston in the NCAA championship game making Thompson the first black coach to win an NCAA basketball title. Thompson became a coaching icon during his 27 years at Georgetown. 
When he passed away in 2020, several coaches honored him by wearing his signature white towel. Well, Taylor, do you have anything else for us to do today? Uh, I actually had a question for you guys. We didn't talk Kentucky at all. How do you guys feel about the Wildcats coming back from 18 down? I think it was 18 against Bama. They got a big one against Arkansas this week. Are they national title contenders? Are they going to steal the SEC from Auburn? How do you guys feel about the Wildcats? Big one this week against Arkansas, right? I think on the road, too. Yeah, which is a tough place to play. Yeah, they're title contenders, uh, and I think they're among the eight teams that are, are title favorites, in my view, uh, or at least prohibitive favorites. And it doesn't mean that another team can't come out, but I think the champion will come out of the top eight. But uh, as long as they've got all their players, I mean, they're playing, you know, they, they have a chance to be playing without uh, a couple guards. But when they're full strength, I think they're as good as anybody. And, and to have Kellen Grady, you know, step up and get 28 in their last game and, and to win that game, I think said a lot about their athletic character. And Jay, I've been looking all year at, uh, because my concern coming into the year is would they get consistent play from their four position. Now all of a sudden, Jacob Toppin is coming off the bench. He's playing well. Keon Brooks is giving them consistent minutes. So now you have five guys on the floor that you have to pay some attention to that puts immense pressure on your defense, whether it be zone or man. So, uh, we've talked about them being in the top eight all year long. And uh, because of that, and especially the emerges to, uh, to your point with getting Kellen Grady involved in the offense, but like early uh, versus late, th- that's a very dangerous Kentucky Wildcat team. I'll tell you the thing that impressed me in that game was Davion Mitts, 38 minutes, no, no turnovers. That was really impressive. I mean, that was like, like, you know, I was thinking like Davion Mintz, six year, you know, he went to Kentucky. They played last year. They were terrible. There were no fans in the stadium. And I, I got to believe he was like going, what am I doing? You know, like I, I left a great atmosphere. I left a, you know, a, a team that I was comfortable with. I had a role. Now, after playing that game, I got to, that place was absolutely crazed. I got to believe that, you know, he's got to look back and say, you know what? This was worth it. I, like I was so happy for that kid, how he played, uh, you know, how competitive he was, the leadership he gave their team. I thought that was, I thought that was really, really good. The other thing is, playing as well as they played with those guys out mm-hmm. might even motivate those guys to come back a little quicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, whoops, we won. Wait a second. They won't, hey, Savir, what'd you say, Ty Ty? They won't without us. Holy crap. They won't without us. Wait a second. And then my last observation of that game was that I think it was one of the greatest three seconds in basketball because Kellen Grady basically got hit in his ass the ball bounced around. He was about to get one of those from Cal, like, what? And then all of a sudden, before Cal could get out the what, he knocked out a three. So he went from absolutely getting a what to get back on defense. Good shot. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and Kellen Grady is oblivious to all that's around him right now. I mean, like you talk about a guy that's enjoying his moment. I mean, I, the only person enjoying his moment more is now that Oscar Shibway is approved for NIL, the biggest decision he has to make is to say yes or no. <laughs> because, because and, and, and on a serious note, I mean, I would hope and have someone balance it because, I mean, he's playing so well. Whatever deals he's going to do, he should take fewer deals for a lot of money because, mm-hmm. you know, we're coming into the last few weeks of the season. Let me ask you guys this question to finish up. Oscar Seabway's projected as probably a second-round draft 
choice, which means you know he'll probably get a, a contract, but he you know he might get a two way. He might get maybe you get. I think I don't know what his second round is probably about six hundred a year. Jay, is that about right? Something like that. All right, or he can come back to Kentucky and make well over a million probably through NIL. The, the a positive of NIL. Will we see more guys that are fringe guys that could be second round guys decide to come back knowing they can make more money and work their way up to the first round where if he goes from the second round to the first round, then all of a sudden he's got three-year guarantee. You, you, wait, wait. Is that going to be a real positive impact of NIL? I think for guys who are near underneath the basket, when a guy's getting ready to dunk the ball and they move out of the way because of a business decision, <laughs> I think economics are going to have a huge play in whether a guy goes and ends up being a second round fringe pick or staying in college camp. I, I, I do think, Seth, and I said this to you before, the NIL now is going to be a strong incentive to keep fringe guys who ordinarily would kind of go try it uh, to, to keep them in college. So I, I'd be surprised if Sheboy didn't come back for another year. Well, first of all, Fonz, moving out of the way when somebody's about to dunk on you is always a sound business decision. <laughs> <laughs> because, because those pictures, those pictures and video last forever. Um, Never yeah. nervous purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was dunked on by a few guys. Ralph Sampson, Tom Hammonds at Georgia Tech got me really good. Dwayne Farrell at Georgia Tech got me really good. Uh, other than that, I wasn't dunked on a whole lot, but those, those were three that, that still resonate. But, <laughs> yeah. Cause it, I ran out of the way the other time. I was too slow to get out of the way of those guys. But the, the, the NIL thing, like, I, I think it's all positive. Um, it, and I've made the analogy before. It's, it's kind of like driving. Um, you know, if players weren't allowed to drive until now, there are some coaches that would say, well, what's going to happen? You know, they have to, they have to keep their license up. They have to register the car. They have to keep their insurance current. They may get in an accident. They may get a DUI. All those things are, are, are true that that may happen, but the overwhelming majority do just fine with it. And I think that's, what's going to happen with NIL. But if we really believe in education and that, and that school is, a, a the best place for a, a young adult to be. Uh, why would we worry about it? I mean, if Oscar Shibway decides to come back, money is always a factor for a student, for every student. Uh, stu regular students, non-athletes, make decisions on what school they're going to do go to based upon money all the time. How much scholarship money am I getting? How much does tuition cost? What's the cost of living in this area? The, the, it, money's always a factor. It may not be the only factor, but it's a factor, and, and, and it, it shouldn't be crazy that it's a factor for, for athletes, too. Yeah, it's gonna. Be, I think it's gonna be interesting to watch. I, I really do. And and his joy that he plays with is just. It really. I mean, like you you watch him and you smile, like and as a teammate, like someone else does something well, he's the first guy. I mean, like, and that joy has spread. To answer your question, Taylor, that joy has spread throughout the team. That joy has spread throughout the coaching staff. Uh, I've never heard Cal say, "I like my team more than." This year. And I think he's having so much fun. And he look, he look, he had a cause after last year, because it's like Coach K had a cause like, you know, you know, this isn't going to happen again. So, you know, enjoy it now, because a year from now, things are going to be back to normal. But uh, you can't help but watch Oscar Shibway play and just, you know, marvel at, at the joy that he has in playing. 
I mean, it really is. It, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch. And I think it's uh, it's going to be a pretty special ending to their season. But they could get whacked by Arkansas this week because Arkansas at home with those big guards that could kind of push them out and, and as athletic and, and how they spread the court. They could get, I don't know if they have enough shot makers after Note, but they could give them some problems for sure. Mm-hmm.